Good evening, everyone. It's 8 p.m. here on the East Coast. Glad you could join us this evening, that you're able to uh, take some time away from your business. And uh, I'm promising you a lot of great information. I have been really psyched for uh, tonight's e-retailer conversation conference call uh, because we're going to have uh, plans are that we're going to have some uh, special guests join us this evening. And uh, both who are going to take and uh, bring a, a lot to what we are doing. And uh, I think this one, as I have been talking about this with people over the last few weeks, this one's garnered a lot of interest because I think that it's based upon a, a an article that I had written earlier this spring. And I was very pleased with it, even though I've written 500 columns or so over the years. I was very pleased with the information I was able to uh, to share with this one. So uh, tonight's topic, as I had promised you, dealt with the idea that we have just passed on March 15th. The, for some of us it, here in the States, it's the corporate uh, income tax filing date. And for others, we simply file a form and then our uh, business report rolls over into our personal report to pay our taxes on. But in either case, March 15th was an important date in April Let's see, 17th is going to be an important date because with April 17th here in the States, uh, thanks to the fine people in Massachusetts who create for us a holiday that uh, moves it from April 15th, we're going to be able to uh, pay our taxes, sign those forms, send them in. And once you have done that, what I'm wanting you to think about is the experience that you've had over the the last year with your accountant. As I mentioned in the invitation that I sent you for tonight, I've always asked audiences that when I am teaching some aspect of business management, particularly in the financial areas, that it just seems odd to me that I, as a fellow small business owner, gets to take and speak to you. And I ask the class, how many of you have learned something from what I've shared today? And almost always there's vast majority, if not all of the audience, says, yes, they've learned something. I go, okay, and let me ask of you, how long have you engaged the accountant that you're currently using? And I hear years of 2, 3, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I say, this seems a little odd to me. Explain to me why it is that in an hour, hour and a half, or in the case of the folks I was with last week in Wisconsin, that it was uh, an entire day, explain how Tom Shea, a fellow small business owner, has had the opportunity to teach you something in that short period of time, and yet the person that you are paying as an accountant didn't teach you what I've already taught you here. That just doesn't seem right. And if I were with you for another hour, another day, do you think there's a good chance that I would be teaching you something else and well, just how many days in a row could we do that? How many days in a row could we go with me sharing something with you that would help you to understand financials so that you can take and have a better business? Uh, you've also heard me do a lot of beating up on the accountants out there. Uh, said, so, uh, so let's clear up that point to begin with. Um, it's not that I have a dislike for accountants. It is that I have a dislike for the experience that many small business owners are having with their accountant. I liken it to uh, a church several months ago. 
who speak knew each other. We don't. And he introduced me to this gentleman and said, this is Joseph Michelli. Well, I've heard the name. Okay, and I understand you. Dr. Joseph Michelli has a PhD. Joseph Michelli has written a number of books. Um, one of them is The Zappos Way, the story of the Zappos online shoe store. And another one is The Starbucks Experience. And I made a point to read the Starbucks experience before Joseph and I had our first conversation. And prior to that, uh, I will say this is my one giving in to a, a chain store in life is, yes, I do carry a Starbucks card. I frequent the place five, six, maybe seven days a week. Uh, at the Starbucks nearest my home, near our office, I do know a lot of the Starbucks employees. I've known all the managers they've gone through over many, many years have considered them to be good friends, a pleasant experience, a great experience, enjoyed all the things they did, even things where I was engaged in my community and wanted some organization to come and participate uh, as a corporate sponsor, and they always jumped in and did it. So I was, as they would say, just happy, pleased, and all was, was fine. And then I read the book. And as I read the book, it kind of ruined the experience for me. I made a comment one morning about, gee, I'm just not as happy with the Starbucks as I used to be. And the reason I'm not as happy with the Starbucks is because I've read about all these other ones. And they have really great experiences there. And I think, why can't I have that? Uh, another case in hand is FedEx. There was a time when you would mail a package. By any means, it went out the door and it did eventually, for the most part, show up on the other end, wherever it was that you wanted delivered to. And then FedEx decided to ratchet it up a notch or two, uh, to the point that you can take that flat envelope, pay whatever their fee is, $12, $15 for this flat envelope, have it somewhere across the country the next day, and once it gets into their system, which is hopefully just a very short time after you hand the package to a, to a driver, or after the driver has picked it up from one of their drop boxes, then you can begin to follow the package. You know where it is. And so as small businesses, when we are ordering equipment and products from our vendors and we're asking someone, well, where is it? And we know that it is multiple boxes of, say, merchandise. They can't tell us where it is. Well, that kind of creates a concern. That concern is how come FedEx can make it so easy that they can find an envelope and I've got say a tractor trailer complete rig of merchandise and you can't tell me where it is see what happens these businesses like joseph explained in starbucks experience like the people at fedex they have kind of ruined it for everybody else because they keep ratcheting up the, the standards well that's my purpose in the message that i send to you in the newsletter when i speak to a group uh, that's a part of what i want to do with tonight is it is my intent to help you ratchet it up a bit better, that you would have a really awesome experience with whoever it is that you are going to do business with. All right, so let's take care of a couple of uh, things right off the bat. Uh, I got in early on the call tonight. I had uh, I've already started the recording. Let you know, yes, the conference call is going to be available on the um, the website. It'll be available in a format of MP3 where you can download it onto your iPod. Uh, just from the front page of the ProfitsPlus.org website, you will click on the little link that says e-retailer, and it will show you to the right side of the pull-down menu, and there's a 
e-retailer conversations. You can grab it there and uh, download it, or you can just click on it and listen to it at any point in time. Uh, if you're in a place tonight where you are doing something else, as you're listening to this, and you may have a uh, sink doing something, you're washing dishes, or you are uh, still still at work doing something, and there's noises going around, let me ask you to take and hit the star six button, which is going to mute the uh, microphone side of your telephone for you. And um, when you want to jump back in, a star six will, um, will unmute you. You can jump in for questions. We are experimenting with something a little new tonight, a little new technology. We are hoping that with that we have managed to get rid of uh, a lot of the time delay factor that comes in when the call is being made that we will take and be able to um, speak to each other a little quicker. I think that's all the rules. So, um, okay, let's see. That's that piece of paper. Job done. We're ready to go to work. Uh, let me introduce... Um, I know that one of our guests is already online. I've spoken to him and uh, did speak by email a couple of times today with our second guest. I'm going to simply bring in our first guest to start with. First guest has been with us before. Our, our first guest has um, been a friend of mine for a number of years. I have known him as a speaker. I have known him as a, a writer in a, a number of things. He has a, a very vast knowledge in, in all kinds of areas of business. And um, very comfortable in being a part of the conference call uh, because at, at one point in his uh, his life he was also a um, a disc jockey. So the idea of uh, sitting at a desk with a microphone and headphones on is uh, very comfortable to him. Uh, my friend joins us tonight from Michigan, where he resides. Although uh, rumor has it he's um, thinking about joining us down here in the state of Florida. Uh, with that being said, I'm hoping that he's still with us. My friend, Bill Kendi, are you there? Come join us. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. None of it's true, of course, but I appreciate it. Hey, nice little applause there for you, huh? Can I do a little better? Go. Maybe. All right. How about that? Yeah, give it up for Bill Kendi. Hey, glad to have you, my friend. Appreciate you joining us. Thank you, sir. My honor. All right. So let's talk about tonight's aspect accounting. You've gone through the year. You come to the time of year. I'm cringing already, although we are many days away from it, that there is someone out there. There's some bunches of people out there who are going to have this experience, and that is about the 14th of April. They're going to get a letter in the mail from their accountant, and it's going to have a nice pretty letterhead. I think all accountants have nice pretty letterhead, and it's going to tell them that they are wanting a check, not to pay the accountant's fees, they'll wait and collect that later. But they're going to tell you, here's how much money you got to pay in your taxes. And uh, the experience that I hear people talking about that it does not go well is spoken in the case of a lady I met in, I believe it was Edmonton earlier this year, and she said, well, they, I get the letter. The accountant wants me to send them a check for $14,000. Now, I've spoken to the accountant for a number of times. The accountant has done my books for many, many years, knows me quite well. My accountant balances my checkbook for me every single month, which I'm not quite sure why that is. And my accountant knows there has never been $14,000 in my checking account. And yet they, and I'll use the word nonchalantly, uh, send me the letter. It says, here's your few days notice that you got to send a check for $14,000. I don't have it there to send to them. And I don't think that's right. And I said, so, well, here's Tom's take on it. 
it is right, probably mathematically, that that's what you owe the taxes. Uh, the problem is that you and the accountant have not had some good conversations about what you are supposed to be doing. So tonight we're going to enter the uh, the world of the accountant. And let's see. Let me let me cue this up and let's proceed it. Tonight we're going to enter a fifth dimension. It's not a time or space. It's kind of a bizarre place that we're going to. It's a place that few of us as business owners want to go to. It's a place where we often see documents. And what we see are numbers, and we say to the accountant, uh-huh, yeah. And then we hear numbers that are owed, and we scream. And we don't know what to do. Join with me now as we enter this evening. It's called the Accounting Zone. How's that? Okay. So here's my, my two cents on, with regard to the accountant. Your accountant has two jobs for you. Number one, your accountant is to help you pay as little taxes as legally possible. Um, Tom Shea's belief is that accounting is not all black and white. Accounting has a lot of zones that are gray, subject to interpretation. The second aspect the accountant's job in working with you is to delay the payment of taxes for as long as possible. And perhaps instead of saying as long as possible, what I should say is delaying it for as many years as possible. And that is done by ways of depreciation and amortization. These are two accounting processes that allow you to take and uh, write off sizable items, tangible and intangible, over a number of years. As an example, you buy a vehicle and you decide to make the vehicle part of your business. And you decide with your accountant that you are going to depreciate that vehicle over a course of seven years. Now, with all this, I'm just making up numbers to make a good, easy example. So you have bought the vehicle. You're going to depreciate it over 7,000 years. And let's say that we want to, I know we're not going to go out and buy vehicles like this. I just need it for easy numbers. Uh, let's say that we, we're going to just run this vehicle forever and ever. We're going to pay $90,000 for the vehicle. I mean, I know, Bill, you can afford this, but the rest of us out there is working together. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So I'm going to pay 90000 for the vehicle. Uh, I'm going to amortize it over seven years. And um, I'm going to, in talking to the accountant, say, let's write it down to about $20,000 at the end. Uh, and we have several options. We can take it about $10,000 a year for each of seven years. We can take a, a lot of it on the front end, making more than 10000 the first year, and slow it down to the, to the seventh year. Uh, we can make it small on the first year and make it bigger towards the seventh. We have multiple options as to how we are going to to do this. Now, in making this happen, this is between you and the accountant. It's a discussion that you have in which you are deciding 
when am I going to make money? If I'm going to make a lot more money now, then I'll probably take more depreciation now because depreciation is an expense without having written the, um, the check for it uh, to some degree. And if I say, no, I'm going to make more money later on, I can take and put the depreciation on the back end of the deal. And if I think business is just going to kind of hum along and be kind of plain and simple, uh, then I'm going to take and perhaps straight line it. But what I, again, am hearing is too many people in their business and are, are getting an answer from the accountant of which they've not participated in the discussion. It's just the accountant says, here's how we're doing it. I said, don't you think you ought to kind of participate? And I very clearly understand the accountant who says, no, they don't participate because they don't understand it. And I go, well, I think now at this point, we need to have that person understand what's, what it is that's going on. Just doesn't make sense. So I want you to have these conversations with an accountant to engage them and to help you learn to be better business people because it does make for a better relationship. And if by chance that's not possible with the accountant that you've got, that somehow or another you do have to take and, and go your separate ways, that you've got to go find somebody else, what I'm going to share with you tonight is my, uh, my baker's dozen. I thought since we were going to use uh, Twilight Zone music, then there ought to be 13 questions tonight. Uh, I've got 13 questions that I'm going to share with you that uh, I would suggest pencil and paper in hand write down the questions and use them as a guide, doctor them up a little bit, add some more to them, that you would visit with a potential accountant to say to them, I'm thinking about engaging your services. Would you visit with me for a few minutes and I could perhaps see if you're the person or not. So my friend Bill, as we get ready to do that, let's take a uh, check here and see. Uh, let me tell you about this one. Uh, got an email today, which really thrilled me to get. Hey, Tom, I have been a subscriber of yours for a while now. I'm planning to attend the call-in tonight, um, which I was thrilled to. For one, I'm thinking, gosh, it's March 22nd. We're right here in the height of tax season. And I'm thinking almost every CPA is eat, sleeping, and drinking in their office uh, 24 hours a day with all the stuff they got to do. But this person says, I'm planning to attend the call-in tonight. I consider myself a bit different than most CPAs and tax professionals. But I am interested in hearing what your callers have to say. Uh, maybe I'll be able to implement something that will help me to help my clients. And then very politely responded and said, if you would prefer that I not attend, please let me know. Uh, at which I promptly responded back to this gentleman. I would be thrilled if you would be on the call. I would be honored that you would call. And gee, would you, would you jump in and participate uh, if, if you're able to make it? Uh, so with that being said, uh, Mike McCormick, are you on the line with us tonight? Oops. Yeah, that's not. Here. Mike, great. Well, this is Mike McCormick. Uh, let me invite you uh, to let you know Mike lives in the uh, Cincinnati area. And uh, Mike, I, I guess are you, uh, you're always open for more business, right? Well, my my thought was in doing that, Mike, was to say uh, I need to tell people who you are, where you are, uh, oh, yeah. and, and the things that, that impressed me about you. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, Mike McCormick's phone number is, uh, and he gives you a toll-free number, 877-852-0243. Okay, that's 877-852-0243. 
Um, if you lose that one, their office number, 513-488-1121, and his extension is number 206. Uh, Mike's website is Cincy Tax Coach. That's C-I-N-C-Y T-A-X C-O-A-C-H dot com. CincyTaxCoach dot com. And if you want to write to him, it is Mike at CincyTaxCoach dot com. And Mike, I uh, I did take a chance to uh, look at your website. I looked at it and I was really thrilled with uh, with looking at the front page of your website because the questions that you were asking people there were uh, like, yeah, I bet there's a lot of folks who need to be asking themselves those very questions. Well, there are just as many tax professionals as to be asking those questions with the clients. Well, I believe that the accountant or the person, and as I mentioned in the newsletter, you know, if it's a CPA, if it's a CA, as I understand the Canadian designation to be, if it's a person who is an EA, that stands for enrolled agent, enrolled agent. Yep. You know, bookkeeper, accountant, whatever you call them, I have always well, thought that that person is my partner. So, Mike, tell us a little bit. Um, tell us about some about your your area of uh, work and uh, type of business that you work with, and what uh, what all you do in Cincinnati. Well, as you said, I'm a CPA. I primarily work with privately owned businesses. Have anywhere from uh, one employee, which would be the the owner, up to probably 50 employees, anywhere from a few hundred thousand dollars in revenue up to about 20 million dollars in revenue. Um, people that are tired of and not not believing the results they get from something like TurboTax. They're uh, tired of having a uh, an employee they pay but not receiving the benefits. That would be the government. Um, they may have a tax professional that, as you, as you alluded to earlier, isn't may not be including the client in on many decisions, uh, isn't in, con in contact with the client on a regular basis to keep them updated on changes. Uh, overall, they, they're working with someone who may, who, who may have uh, taken a long time to bring them an idea that's uh, designed to save them money. So you specialize in taxes, correct, Mike? Yes. You sound like my kind of guy. I mean, you sound like you ask the questions that uh, I want an accountant to ask me the way I want the accountant to be engaged in my business. Uh, you mentioned the, the government being the uh, that odd employee that's there. Um, yeah, you know, the silent partner that doesn't provide you any benefits that you pay a lot of money to. <laughs> and my experience, sometimes that is also a way to describe some people's accountant. Could be. Well, I, I just run into a lot of people. A, a large part of my teaching business is sharing with people aspects of financials. Um, and the war stories that I get from people who come up afterwards wanting to say something about it or ask questions. And uh, uh, I'm thinking about a couple right now in Edmonton that have uh, been fighting a cold for the last two weeks. But, uh, you know, here's, here's questions they're wanting to ask. And I go, gosh, you know, the accountant really ought to be in on this thing. They ought to be helping them do stuff. And... Uh, as I have uh, told my, my friend there, Bill Kendi, 
if there were more people out there who had accountants doing what they were supposed to do, I'd probably have to go get a job doing something. <laughs> that would be any fun for you, would it? I have a question for you. And I have some uh, tax experience. I'm not a practicing tax pro, but I do. I have uh, managed and run a tax office, and uh, I work with enrolled agents and CPAs. And I guess what I'm curious is, uh, one of my things about CPAs is that, in a lot of cases, they're really not tax people. Now, in your case, you sound like you are. You know, and what we found in, in my experience is that a lot of CPAs, are really their primary goal is to keep clients in compliance, not necessarily know the tax laws and the tax codes. Uh, yeah, I, I would certainly agree And, and I'm just curious what you think about that. The other thing is that a CPA is not necessarily a businessman or a marketing person. Uh, I, I agree 100%. I, no, I think, and I'm not trying to give you a hard time. I, you know, those are the things I look at and I think, yeah, well, if you really want to get your taxes, go, go to a tax pro. If you really want to get your marketing stuff done, go to a marketing guy. If you want to have somebody who knows numbers and can tell you about, you know, balance sheets and P&Ls and, you know, um, yaddy yaddy, then go to a CPA. But don't expect one guy to do all three functions. Any good. And, and I'm kind of looking for your response. I, I would agree with that. I, the CPA designation is not... It does not qualify someone necessarily to be a tax person. The CPA designation is, is to be an auditor, which is the financial statement auditor. Uh, over the years, the CPA professionals have, be, have become the default tax advisory in most cases. Uh, but not all of us specialize in the tax arena. And even those of us that do specialize in the tax arena, there are niches in the tax code that we find an expert to help us with. Um, in the case of, of businesses, I think it, we walk a double-edged sword. One is as a tax advisor and, and hopefully as a tax advisor. And, and number two, as as the second set of eyes of someone's financial statements. Um, in, in bigger offices, larger offices, you have just people that specialize in one side or the other, but generally not both. Um, when we go out on our own, we take on both those hats, and, and sometimes we don't do one as well as the other. That's fair enough. I'm just curious what your read on all that was. You know? Yeah. And, and I would hear that and uh, would say to a, a person in business, when you hear Mike's comments, have you ever had that kind of a discussion with your accountant, saying, you know, just what are you doing here? And, and also, what are, what's my position here? So let me ask the uh, two of you, or as you're both with me, let me uh, start running through the baker's dozen of questions that I've got and ask you, if you, if you would, to uh, jump in, participate at points, and um, Mike, you may want well to say, here's how I'd answer it, or here's, uh, here's my thoughts on it. Sure. Okay, so what I want each of the people in our audience tonight to think about first is, what kind of business you are, what, what, what is it that you sell, product or service, and specifically what product and what service is it that you do provide. So if I were a business that was a, um, a garden center, I'll, I'll pose my 13 questions from the position of being a garden center owner. Question number one I'm going to ask you is, how many other garden centers do you perform accounting duties for? Now, what I'm looking for that 
people telling me their experience with the accountant is, the, uh, the accountant is, well, if there's a problem, I'm going to let you know. My concern is if the accountant's not familiar with all the idiosyncrasies of how a garden center operates, it puts them at a disadvantage to be able to compare the experience of one to another one. Now, and as I understand it, Mike, out there, there does exist a book, um, or did for years ago, I remember seeing it, and it's put out by a company down here in Florida. I want to say they're in like Winter Haven, Winter Park. Um, the initials are FRA. They used to produce a, a little small green book, like a two-ring binder, and they would collect financial information from all kinds of people to which they would turn around and sell it or have a deal with the accounting firms to um, provide that book for them to give them industry numbers. Are you familiar with that one? Actually, they, I don't know if it's the same company or not, but there there are a couple of uh, services that we can subscri subscribe to that will give us uh, data segmented by industry. So we, we may be able to find comparative financial statements uh, on a specific industry such as uh, garden centers. So and you're looking for ratios, correct, Mike? Exactly, yeah. You're, you're looking for common-sized financial statements where you can see right. – where um, where wages are a certain percentage of revenue and, and things like that, so you have something to compare your client against. Right. Yeah, but you know, but Tom, I guess I want to ask you this question. You know, from a uh, you, know, you know me, I'm not an accountant, but I do have some financial background. And really, when you're looking at a P&L or a balance sheet, or you're looking back at three years' taxes or whatever, you know, whatever you want to talk about, you know, similarities of businesses are similarities of businesses. If you're a retailer, okay. you're a retailer. Now, and now having said that, you might not know the nuances of a specific industry, but if an accountant, just like in, like any business, just specializes in that, they're pitching all themselves on available markets. But if right. I'm a, a garden center compared to being, say, a clothing store, or I, I'm a garden center and I do landscape installation work, or I'm a garden right. center and I bring my material, I move my material from small. Uh, seedlings all the way up to five gallon containers, something like that, then my payroll is different from the garden center who is heavy into product and not as much into live goods. And that's what would very much so skew what my payroll would be. True. I have be your, your percentage would be out of whack. Yeah. Well, I, well I, would I, answer, I, I would answer the question this way. I, I would say I, I don't have any clients that are specifically garden centers, but I do have. Uh, roughly 18 years of experience in the retail business. I have had clients that are nurseries, so I'm, aw I'm aware of the difficulties that both retailers face as well as uh, nurseries who grow their own products to sell to their retail clients. Um, so I've seen the, the process from a seed all the way through the finished product that, that's planted in some client's front yard. So then you've already answered my, my second question, Degree, because my, my second question is, so how many other, and I use the word independent, businesses yeah. do you form a Well, and that, that's, all of my businesses are independent. I don't have any chains, but again, it goes back to the retail business. Um, it, it's a, a, somewhat of a niche of independent uh, retailers. Uh, it was a small chain of stores here in the greater Cincinnati area. Um, so if this is an independent home and garden center, uh, I certainly think the experience applies. And, and then my third question in the series, my fallback question, 
Uh, for sure, Stan, Mike is in being a part of the call tonight is, is a ringer in, in the sense that so many people out there are going to have the conversation and are going to hear an accountant who says, you're the only retailer I do business for. You're the, you know, they, they do more of other stuff. Go, There's a problem there. If you're the one and only, uh, I appreciate that little green reference book being out there, but uh, I, I think it's the old Mark Twain quote, a man who's had a cat by the tail knows a whole lot more than the man who has read about it. Third question, fallback. So how many other small businesses? So if I am speaking to an accountant and I can't get someone who's into my niche, who's into the niche of, uh, into the industry of retailing, uh, then I'm going to offer a third a fallback question of saying, so how many other small businesses do you do accounting services for? Uh, and then as you hear Mike's answer is, is that this is the only type of business he works with. Again, he, he's my kind of guy. Well, I, to specifically answer the question, I might say something like, it sounds like that's important to you. What, how do you define small? Well, well, yeah, very good, Mike, because I mean, I would answer that question with a question. I guess I would say, well, how many small businesses do you want me to work with? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you want me, you know, if I say you, I got four, I got six, I got 87. If I say right. 87, you'd say that's way too much. <laughs> you know, so. But if we stayed in the garden center genre, there may be a person who says, I'm small business and I'm doing $15 million a year. And there's someone else who's going to say, I'm small business and I'm doing $400,000 a year. And the guy right. who's doing millions of dollars, that's not that's not small business. Well, right. in the category, yes, yeah, they are. But I see what you're saying, Tom. You know, like how many other $15 million businesses do you work with or have you worked with? Or So I, I guess I really don't see from an accountant's perspective uh, the importance of uh, – how many others as much as just, just his reputation in the marketplace and his ability to, to ask the questions and to provide you with what you need. So let me ask you a question, Mike. Well, go ahead. Even you get a, go finish, Tom. I'm stealing too much well, time. I understand this concern from the accountant standpoint, but I, you know, I'm writing, I'm speaking from the small business owners. Ones. Sure. I, I want to know how many more of me do you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, so your turn. Ask Mike. Well, how many Mike is enough? Two, three, four? I, I don't know. It's going to depend on the client. Um, if, if they want to know how much experience I have with $15 million companies, obviously that that uh, is going to be less than my experience with uh, three or $4 million companies. Okay. okay, question number four. I'm going to ask you, where do you live? Uh, simply because I'm, as a small business, I'd like to know of someone who has a feel for my community, has a feel for what's going on, and, and a feel for industry that I am going to be related to. Again, if I stay with the garden center industry, I'm hoping an accountant who is being local knows what's going on with what's being built in the community. If I'm in a small community and I have a Main Street uh, program in my community, I'm expecting my accountant, who's probably active in groups like Chambers and other civic organizations, is going to have somewhat of a feel for what's happening in my community with regard to other businesses coming in, to growth in the community, to challenges with population in the community. Uh, I just would like to know if the accountant's somewhere close by at hand so he he knows what my town is. I, I agree with your concern. But given the way our 
technology is is these days, it's I don't think it's as important that the accountant be right next door. Um, I mean, I have clients all across the country, and from from a strict accounting and tax standpoint, um, it hasn't been an issue. Now, do I know when the county fair is where they live or something like that? Probably not. How about yeah. number five? Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Bill. Climb in. Well, I, 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 you know, that was a really kind of a tough one because I guess it really, and, and, and I'm not uh, uh, taking any accountant's side on this one at all. Uh, on the flip side, a retailer wants somebody that's going to be, a, in fact, a marketing guy. Then I guess they really have to find what they're talking to an accountant for to begin with. Because if anybody does any advertising of any substance, they're going to use relations with media reps who's going to know exactly the lifeblood of any community that they're in. And I, I guess if you look at their account to be a marketing guy, then you expect them to know what's going on, who's doing business with who. I guess you're really not interested in the accounting part. You're looking for marketing guys. Question number five. Um, and this one is asking... Because, um, one, I, w I want to see if the person's got a feel for the small business. Now, Mike's clearly identified his position, but again, I'm thinking about how many accountants are out there. I, I remember an accountant walked into our family business long, long ago, and coat and tie, and my dad making a comment about sticking out of the coat pocket, the side coat pocket, was a, a little primer book. Uh, like cliff notes for retail accounting or something. My dad says, oh, this was such an uncomfortable feeling, thinking, what was this guy doing, reading as he was driving over here to meet me? Uh, but, but question number five was, what stores do you shop in? Now, hmm. if, you, if you're not locally, doesn't help a whole lot. But if that person is locally, uh, I'm putting this in so that I, I see if this person has a, a feel for a uh, a, a local business. Now, also both both of you, to Mike and Bill, uh, on this one, you know, I'm asking the questions of a, from the perspective of being the small business owner right. that I want to feel just like I want to be with my doctor. I want to feel comfortable with this person that he knows me, that he understands me, he understands the type of things that I feel I'm going through. Uh, there, there's that personal connection because this person has rolled the dice put everything they own into buying this business. You know, they've leveraged their home, and uh, it's all on the line here. And I need to make sure that this person is maybe part cheerleader. We've talked about being a marketing person and everything else. Uh, maybe I need this person to be, uh, to some degree, the cheerleader. But I want to take and be very confident that this person has got a good feeling about what kind of it is, what it feels like to be an independent business owner. Question six, what do you do for uh, hobbies? Can I can address that one real quick? Absolutely. What, I, I guess one of the things that I think accountants forget, as well as sometimes our clients, is that, at least in my business, I am a small business. You know, I, I'm not a 25-person firm that has offices in 12 states or something like that. Um, so... I, I do feel as though I have uh, a perspective that my client can appreciate. 
and can benefit from because of that. That, now that would be a good point. I'd want I'd want to hear from from an accountant to know just how many people are 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 really there because in, if it's got a, a corporate name of so and so so and so and so and so yeah uh, I could feel like I, I could be lost in number when you when you would respond to me and say I too am a small business this is how many people I have here who's working here that would make me feel a lot better right you, you're you're one of me it, it's not misery like loves company it's Wow. You understand. No, no. Yeah, I, I feel your pain. You know, I, I, um, I don't have employees right now, but you know, we small firms have employees. We deal with those issues. We deal with how do we sell this thing to retire down the road? How do we, how do we take a vacation next month? You know, <laughs> who's yeah. going to do the work? You know, we we struggle with a lot of the same questions that people in the home and garden business suffer from. Well, all right, so, and my question number six was, you know, what do you do for hobbies? And uh, uh, my article went on to say at this point, the accountant's going to get a lot of brownie points if uh, their answer is something like, well, I like working in the yard or I like working on my garden, uh, simply because it's going to say that their shopping preferences might give me a clue that I could see this person at some point in time sure. on an individual basis, kind of like um, I come to your office on your turf. I'm curious to know when do I see you on my turf. Right. Yeah. <coughs> Which uh, question um, seven and eight come together? Um, how often can I expect to see you at my business? When would those visits be? I think that's another problem that people in my profession uh, don't handle very well. Um, a lot of us still bill by the hour. So if the client sees me, they're going to get a bill. Um, or, or the client doesn't call me because they're afraid they're going to get a bill, yet they're going to spend a half million dollars to buy a building. There are certainly tax implications resulting from that. So one of the first calls they should make is certainly to their accountant or tax person. Um, what I've done to combat that is generally – work with my clients on a professional service agreement that spells out how much they're going to pay me for a month or a year, whatever the agreement may, may uh, need to be for the client to feel comfortable, that spells out what services are going to be included in that price, um, as well as specific scheduled, pre-scheduled meetings with the client, uh, their staff, their other advisors, however, however they want to set it up to talk about not only uh, the tax and, and accounting issues, but what else is going on in their life. Um, you know, and, and hopefully they're in a business, in some cases they're in a business where uh, I would visit just before uh, to buy the product that they sell or just because I like them, to stop in and, and say hi. But as I said, a lot, you know, in many cases, um, my colleagues don't, don't stop in as often as, as they should because they feel they have to send the client a bill to make it worth it. I've told my audiences in the past that the accountant who taught me how to properly budget and project my cash flow needs was notorious for Saturday morning visits for coffee and donuts. Mm. And when he would come in and say hello, we would visit, and then there would always be a question or two, and uh, 
I, I would lead to, well, you know, I got, got some donuts in the office. I made a point to stop and get some fresh donuts this morning at the bakery. Um, you know, come on in, have a cup of coffee, and we'd sit down and talk. And uh, I don't ever remember, you know, it's not that I need it from the perspective. I never got a bill for the Saturday morning that said Saturday morning visit. Uh, I, I'm sure I paid for some of them in there somewhere, but it was a very comfortable setting. And I didn't have, as you've described, Mike, that fear of just getting on the phone with the person. Thank God you have the donuts. What would have happened if you didn't have them, Tom? Yeah. <laughs> How many times as a, as a what? No donuts. Day? I'm out of here. See you, see you next Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. How many times has a has an issue come up where where you thought you needed to talk to an attorney and and you just said, oh, I don't want to pay three hundred bucks that he's going to charge me when he hits the timer. You know, it, it's just, I, I think people have the same issue in many cases with their tax person or accounting person. Like the person answers the phone, hello, click, like they're hearing the click of the timer. <laughs> yeah. Or they bought one of those phones that automatically does it for it. Um, my question number nine comes from uh, a personal experience. This accountant said to me that uh, if my annual fees are $6,000, then my job is to show you how to save $6,000. Or my job is to show you how to make $6,000 or a combination of the two so that the accountant is a source of income for me instead of an expense. Now, the accountant who made that comment to me, that was five, almost 40 years ago. I still like to think there are other processes. I would like to think that's how most of us think, but um, sometimes the client only sees us as a compliance person. So it's difficult. It, it's difficult for me this time of year, while we're, we're knee deep in actually neck deep in tax returns, to do tax planning for a client. Um, hopefully, we've done planning in the prior year early enough to be able to have an effect before the year end. Um, a lot of us still still rely on end-of-year tax planning to happen in December. Tax planning should be happening right now, early in the year, so you have time to have an effect on your tax liability. Um, this, this is the time of year when um, we can have the biggest effect and impact on your tax liability at the end of the year. Um, and unfortunately, again, a lot of of professionals um, aren't proactive with the clients, so the planning doesn't get done at all, beginning or end of year. I'm hearing you use the word tax planning, and I, my experience with with the audiences is I don't hear them having that experience. I hear accountants no. say, you know, the words were tax planning. I go, what are we planning? You know, well, I don't even well, have a budget for next year. What well, you know, you're, you're well, telling me as an accountant we're going to plan well, something. I don't well, even operate well, off a budget. Tom, you talked about utilization and depreciation at the beginning of this conversation. Now, Mike, I have to ask you, how many people take the depreciation that you do in a 10-year schedule, 5-year schedule, 7-year schedule, whatever it is you're depreciating, and take that money and actually use it for what depreciation is meant to be used for? None. None. I mean, the, well, that's tax planning. Yeah. That's, that's, that is that's an aspect of tax it. planning. A lot, a lot of people consider... Depreciation is income. 
Well, it, right. it's called, it's the cost recovery of the asset that you purchased. Right. Um, that is that is certainly an aspect of tax planning. If, if I'm working with a uh, a client that owns a piece of rental property that might be a 50 unit piece of rental property, um, or they're getting ready to more, more appropriately, if they're getting ready to buy one, they've called me ahead of time and and we talked about things like cost segregation studies where we can. Accelerated depreciation, yeah. Chop that, chop that building up into, into pieces instead of depreciating it over 27 and a half years. Maybe we can do it over some of it over 15, some of it over five, right. and, and recover their investment in that property much quicker. Right. Um, a lot of well, you example that time. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Me. Go ahead, please. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people look at think tax planning is done when their when their tax return is prepared. At that right. point, it's too late. We're doing. The, the the pumpkin uh, the carriage is already turned back into the pumpkin at that point. Um, mm-hmm. You know it, 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 we can't go back and change uh, now what was done in 2011, but we can have mm-hmm. a big impact on what happens on in 2011's taxes right now. Right, like the time you used a ninety thousand ninety thousand dollar example of the Lexus he just bought the other day. Um, so if you want to depreciate that car, don't you think that that depreciation ought to be going to replace that Lexus's motor when it blows up? Potentially, yeah. I mean, the depreciation is the way Tom laid out is um, kind of difficult because I don't. Yeah. If it's an asset they already purchased, the IRS has already prescribed how it's going to be depreciated. Now, if Correct. we're talking about book versus tax differences, that's a whole other conversation. But um, some conversations. Uh, we can have with a client or should have with a client up front. Uh, depreciation is probably not just not the best example, unless it's just like a like the rental property well, I'm talking about, where, where we can have a big impact. Yep, there's all different aspects of tax planning. I yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Sorry, right. Mr. Let's go down. We've got four questions to to roll through, um, and would love to hear some good good ones on on this one. Uh, if I, as a business owner, have been encouraged at, the, at our conversation tonight and have decided I'm going to uh, change the accounting firm that I'm using, how many years of my uh, business history do you want to review? I, I generally look at three years. Um, one, we look for mistakes and missed opportunities on the prior year returns, um, and, and we can only uh, amend three years back. And we're running up against um, the end of being able to amend for 2008. Um, when, on uh, April 8, uh, 17th this year, uh, amending 2008 is not possible. So three, three years back. So at that point, I'm going to ask you the, uh, the question in looking at mine to say, if we're going to look at it, and I understand the three-year for amendment, then from your experience, how much are we going to spend on this, and how much am I going to recover from this? Uh, again, I'm quoting this from examples of people in classes who say, the accountant says, i got to look at X number of years of your tax history, and they get a bill for four or $5,000. I go, and what did you learn from your from paying the check to the accountant for $5,000? I go, I don't know. And I go, ooh, big expense. I said, you know, could we not have somewhere along the line figured out if this was going to go anywhere or not? Well, here, here's what I what I normally do, Tom, is um, obviously have the meeting, first meeting with the client, and talk about where they've been, what their goals are, those sorts of things. Um, I ask them to leave the three years of tax returns with me. Um, 
so I can review them, see if there are any mistakes or missed opportunities. Um, at that point, um, during my review, I determine whether or not they're a good candidate for tax planning um, and, and what I think I might be able to save them if we actually go through the planning process. And, and I quote the client a fee in order to do that. Generally, once we've gone through the planning process, if they implement the programs that I've suggested and do things I've suggested, they're looking at a multiple of, you know, it could be anywhere from two to five or six times whatever my fee was in immediate savings. Um, and what I'm hearing is people not hear, they're not hearing that from the accountant as to here's yeah. what they could, what they're getting yeah. back. It's like I spent five thousand dollars to bring you up to speed. Well, point, I, I'm, not talk, I'm not necessarily talking about um, five thousand dollars to amend returns or anything. I'm I'm saying whatever my fee is, I'm going to charge you. Let's say it's twenty five hundred dollars to do a tax plan. And I th I think off the top of my head from what my cursory review is, I think I might be able to save you $30,000 over the course of this year and next year and the year after that. Is that a good investment for you? And it's Sounds really like an that Yeah. I mean, if, if they're charging – if somebody's being charged $5,000 and not shown where the return on investment is up front, that's a problem. That's a problem. Okay. Hear that, folks? Did you hear that? That's a problem. If you're not being shown that up front, that's a problem with communication. Well, I know there are corporate tax companies out there that will do second looks for free. Um, well, and I'm, and I'm not talking about necessarily just a second look. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about looking. the second look is looking at what's been done and seeing if there are any mistakes or missed opportunities there. What I'm talking about, the biggest value that I'm providing is what can we do now to move forward. Going forward, what, yeah. what, what, Where can we change an after-tax dollar to a pre-tax dollar? Where can we move something from Schedule A to Schedule C or the 1120 or, or whatever the case may be? What, what can we do to, um, to, to, to improve this client's tax situation? And one of the things that, that you mentioned earlier was, yes, my job is to, to save the client as much tax money as possible, but it's it's really a double-edged sword in some cases because if the if the client has bank financing or wants to get bank financing, they need to show some retained earnings. In order to show, show retained earnings, they have to have taxable profit. So in some cases, we're kind of walking a fine line there as well. All right, here's a tough one. My question number eleven: How we how are you as an accountant going to find out? that I do not know or I do not understand my financials. Now, I pose that because I have this feeling that accountants, I, I credit them as being very intelligent people. I mean, they've shown it by what they've done. I have a, a younger brother who is a CPA, and I know what some of what you have to go through to get those three letters behind your name. That's not cheap. It's not quick and easy. And that's a lot of classroom time and a lot of knowledge that's in that head just for first for you to get it, secondly for you to maintain it. Uh, looking at the people that you would have as clients who own the small businesses, I got to think that somehow or another in our conversations with an accountant, a, you know, CA, CPA, EA, whatever, that we say something or fail to say something that, uh, that shows our hand. 
that shows we don't know what we're talking about. And I do not understand why that person on the other side of the chair isn't calling my hand on it that I don't know it. That one's all up to you, Mike. I can't address that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I would agree with that. And part of it, I mean, I I have called a client on it. And and, um, at the time, I was relatively new in the firm I was with. And it was a longtime client of theirs. And I was explaining a somewhat technical issue. And as I'm talking to her, I I could see her eyes just rolling in the back of her head. (laughs) So, So I changed changed directions a little bit and and came at the problem from a different angle and the light bulb went off and she went back to uh, one of the partners and was really grateful that I had done that. Sometimes it's not easy for us to see that the client doesn't understand. If they're, if they're nodding their head um, in a, in, as if they're understanding, um, sometimes it's difficult for us to pick up on that. Yeah. So the client, the client, the client, the client, the client needs to speak up if if they can. I mean, I know it's some. They may hopefully they're in a situation with us where they can tell us anything and not feel silly about asking what they think might be a stupid question. But that's not always the case. No, that, that's it. I, I hear them. They're, they're fearful and, and of asking it. If there's an intimidation factor that kicks in, and I go, well, but you just walked up and asked me the question. Why can't yeah. you ask the accountant? I mean, I, you're not paying me, and you can ask me. That person you're paying, and where's the fear factor? Um, I, I think people feel, feel feel fearful of looking stupid. I do. You know, I mean, I mean that's why they don't ask questions. You know, you know that as well, as well as I. I mean, and that's a human thing. Sure. You know, but and I think that goes with anything. But when you're all done with this, I got I got one big question for Mike that I want to ask. But go ahead, Tom. You're on twelve. Uh, and before we go there, let's uh, make sure that uh, for those who did not join with us when we started at 8 o'clock, um, my two guests tonight are Bill Kendi, good friend, uh, writer, columnist, uh, speaker, uh, all-around nice guy who has been part of our program before. And my second guest is a newcomer, is Mike, who is a CPA from Cincinnati area. I uh, invite you to take a look at Mike's website. It is cincytaxcoach.com. That's C-I-N-C-Y. Tax T A X Coach C O A C H dot com. Email is Mike at CincyTaxCoach dot com, and a toll free phone number of eight seven seven eight five two zero two four three. Michael's kind to join and participate and give us some really great answers. Uh, to which my last two questions, and then one from Bill to uh, finish up our evening. I offer uh, a multi part question, to which I say to the accountant as the small business owner. I have three children at home. I enjoy going around the country and looking at other businesses that are just like mine to get ideas as to what I might implement in my business. Um, I like writing with a nice pen. I would like to have a like a really nice Mont Blanc fountain pen. Um, I do enjoy barbecuing. I do enjoy cooking out, and I do enjoy socializing with my uh, with some of my customers. Uh, I would ask my accountant this question. So, can you give me any ideas as to how I might tie any of these into my business? Well, if you schedule meetings with 
clients that are around the country, um, it may be possible to treat some of those expenses as business items. Um, is, if there's a business purpose to the expenditure, then that's that's the key. Is, is what's the business tie? Okay. So let me ask you this one: If, if we were uh, having the conversation, if I told you I owned a garden center and I was getting ready to take a family vacation to the West Coast, but I really like looking at garden centers and I had intentions of taking my camera and was going to stop every day at two or three garden centers and take pictures and make a point to visit with the owner and get some ideas of things I might implement at my garden center back east. Are we going to talk about that as a potential business expense? Part of it can be. Yeah, I would say uh, part of it may be able to be a business expense. Um, it, again, it depends on how things were uh, documented and set up to begin with. Is the trip primarily for business or is it primarily, right. primarily uh, personal? Um, so those are questions that we would get into. Yeah. If the right. wife's you, for example, person, if you rent it out, yeah, if you rent it a hotel room, you know, if you're in a city specifically to go to three different garden centers, and your wife just happened to tag along with you, uh, sure, you could. Yeah, I, I, as far as I know, you can deduct a room. But then again, you're the, you're the CPA, Mike. You tell me. Yeah, you get into some specific issues right, when you right. mix business with personal. Um, but yeah, I would I would say in general, if there's a business pur purpose, then we would we would find a way to at least um, look at a portion of the expenses as a business expense. But again, it just depends on on the actual situation that came about. You know, like with the, with the kids issue, do I give my kids an allowance, or can I employ my kids to come to work in my business and take out trash that's, and do errands around me? That's one of my favorite tax strategies that it seems like not enough people take advantage of. You can pay your your, sure. your kid up to fifty eight hundred dollars per uh, year, and the child will not pay any. If you're unincorporated, will not pay any tax at all. No no social security, Medicare. Uh, no income tax or anything, you can turn around and put that money into a Roth IRA and, and they'll, pay, they'll never pay any tax on it. You can do that for all, all three of your kids, Tom, if they're over seven. Um, seven years old, seven year old is kind of the, um, the IRS threshold unless you're a superstar or something. Um, but if you're be a talented five year old at the trash can. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and, and it's, if you it have does to document it. You've got to have a time card. You've got to you got to have an employment agreement. You know, it's, it's schedule out what their duties are. Uh, treat them just like another employee. The, the reality is, you're probably still going to give them an allowance, but you're going to give them a paycheck that they never see. You're going to deposit it into a, a, a custodial account that only you see. Um, the kid may never see it, uh, but you're documenting the work they're doing for the for the business. Now, the other, on the flip side of that, the, or the related side of that is, let's say you have uh, a brother or a brother-in-law who's out of work, and you're supporting him anyway. So why don't you find a way to put him on payroll, deduct the money you're giving him, get it out of your tax bracket into his, and everybody's happy, except maybe not him because he's at work. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like we can talk tax strategies all night. I mean, look at a hobbyist. Yeah. You know, let's say, Tom, you like to fly model helicopters, and your two boys like to fly them, too. Well, you can, if you have a hobbyist, you can buy 
model helicopters, put them together, you know, write a few articles on it, show that you've got some revenue coming in and deduct the cost of the... Of the uh, if, if there's a business in town, yeah. Correct. I mean, you know, there's some real technicalities there, but yeah, I mean... So if you want to go to... A, go ahead, Mike. Tax planning is about looking at what the client is doing and finding a way to, to make it work for sure. the benefit from a tax standpoint. Good enough. You want to go if you're a writer for obviously, and you like to fly hobbies because you two guys like to like to play with them, and you went and stayed in Cincinnati at a hotel to the hobbies thing. You could probably deduct your hotel and your travel. You won't be able to deduct any costs for the kids, right, Mike? Yeah. It, 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 it again, it depends on what the business intent is. If your intent, if your yep. business intent is to sell those planes or um, or something along that those lines, it, it could be possible. Yeah. Anyway. All right. My last question. Last one on Tom's list, the Baker's Dozen, number 13. It's, it's an old uh, small business uh, accounting joke. But the final question is, you ask the accountant, or let's see, how do you, you uh, how much is two plus two? And the accountant's answer is? Anything you want it to be. What, what do you want it to be? That's it. That's, that's it. How much do you want it to be? Uh, and my point being, you need to delete that section of the recording, right? <laughs> it makes two points. Number one, it's not all black and white. It's not all Number black two, and white. you have to ask questions with the accountant. You've got to participate in the conversation. So, Bill, you had a question you wanted to throw in? Yeah, I wanted to come by like three that you had, Mr. Tom. I think one was like six and then eight and nine or seven and eight. You know, uh, when it comes to accountants, I think, and, and, and I don't mean this, I mean, if there's any insurance people out there, I'm not insulting you, nor am I insulting any accountants, but insurance insurance agents, professionals, are in many ways similar to accountants. Because I think, you know, people don't change insurance companies for product price or really for coverage. They change insurance agents because they're not getting the warm fuzzies and they're not getting the attention that they believe as clients that they deserve. And I just want to hear what you your input on this. And I think that in a lot of cases, accountants lose clients or, or, or customers and customers are choosy, real choosy like I'm said about who hire as a CPA because they've had experience where, you know, the time they talked to their accountant was when, the, it leads back to one of your questions, Tom, is when it's time for income tax. You know, there is no, you know, give me a call and, you know, Tom's got 20 boys and how the kid, you know, he just thought he'd drop your card in the mail and see how the boys are doing or congratulations on their graduation from high school or there is not that customer service. And in my experience with accountants, just like insurance agents, I think that's a, that's a real critical key in retaining customer loyalty and base. What do you think, Mike? I, I would agree with that. Um, I think, in general, we've done a poor job of um, really living up to that moniker, the trusted advisor. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's it, it's sometimes it's terribly difficult. It, well, you get, it, part of it is you got to look at the normal personality of a CPA or an accountant. Um, most of them are not terribly outgoing people. Most. <laughs> So I get to tell the accountant joke at this point. Sure. Okay. So how do you know if your uh, accountant's introverted or extroverted? The extroverted accountant is looking at your shoes. 
<laughs> the extrovert is looking at your shoes. Sounds to me like tax pros. But anyway, <laughs> I have some experience in that field. So, that's not bad, Tom. Not bad. All right. Mike, any closing words from you tonight? Uh, now is the time to do tax planning. If there's anybody out there that is uh, uh, tired of overpaying, or at least they feel like they're overpaying their taxes, now is the time to talk to your tax professional about proactive tax planning. Um, if they don't know what that is, um, find a new one. If you think they're doing tax planning while they're doing tax preparation of your return, you're sadly mistaken. And it's well, costing folks, you a lot of money. Oh, hear that last one. It's costing you a lot of money. So I guess that kind of kills the old song of silence is golden. Silence is costly. Folks, you've been a part of the e-retailer conversation conference call for March 22nd, 2012. We'll be back next month. It's going to be again a Thursday night. April 12th will be early next month because uh, Tom is on the road for all the other Thursday nights during the month. My two special guests tonight have been Bill Kendi, author, columnist, uh, speaker from Michigan, good friend, and Mike McCormick, CPA, Cincy Tax Coach. His number 877-852-0243. Give us a short period of time. Somewhere during tonight, we're going to have the conversations recording up on the website, profitsplus.org. Be there for you to listen to again or you download it. Thanks, everyone, for being with us. Appreciate it. Have a great night. Thanks. Thank you, guys.